Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. At what point do you feel your own mortality? You've had four oh, heart attacks. Every morning. I don't, I'm surprised when I wake up and a little disappointed <laughs> because I have to go through another day of people in powerful positions hating me. They hate me. They just plain, let's call somebody and just, you can feel the vituperation over the phone. Why don't they like you? Because I feel superior to them and I think I could do their job better. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Let me tell all of you something. Thank you. Thank you all. You are amazing, and you have helped this show be what it is. Without you, this show is nothing. I wanted this to be an original, unique, and special kind of thing that was inspirational for all of you, and I believe, hopefully, it has been based on your response today. I am extremely, extremely excited because I have a guy here who breaks the mold. Now, normally, a lot of network presidents that I have on and studio executives I have on and showrunners have broken the mold. I've had some stand-up comedians on the show who have executive produced their content and also are on camera. And so, as you probably realize, that's the way this goes and the format of the show is very inspirational. The guy that I am interviewing today, I am very excited about because he is a part of the fiber and fabric of my being and what shaped me as not only a manager, but a comedy guy and a guy who understood what kind of comedy worked, what kind of comedy didn't, understood about timing, the ability to use Commedia dell'arte, where you use the eyes, the face, the expression, to really get as much out of every joke and every routine you can. Almost an old-time vaudevillian kind of philosophy that works with some of the greatest comedians in the world today. They just don't tell you they do it. You don't think they do it, but they do it. Kind of like when you saw Carol O'Connor as Archie on that chair and there'd be like 30-second applause breaks, and he never said anything. He just looked at his face. 
that's what it's all about in terms of the kind of comedy. The I guess the greatest facial person you could say in the business would be a guy who probably did limited stand-up comedy, but created a character that went the distance, which is Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson. He gets laughs out of never speaking. And so I am going to introduce this man who I am so excited to be near and next to, and I'm talking about Gallagher. And what you're going to find about this guy, there are very few comedians in my lifetime who I ever saw who could do an equal amount of content that was brilliantly smart, well-crafted, thought out, almost like a Harvard educational kind of writing style that just was so unique and tied themes together, not only of the world and relationships and concepts that no one ever did, but also political things anatomical things this man would do routines on feet he'd do like a 15 minute routine on on how god figured out how to put your feet a certain way and why it worked and then you could see him do hours of material that had nothing to do with thought process had nothing to do with your brain it only had to do with the fact of you're watching something that you're like i can't believe i'm watching this and why am i watching this but i'm fascinated and he would get equal extraordinary laughs with cerebral comedy and comedy that was almost three stooges-esque which is unheard of and he could follow his comedy that wasn't cerebral with comedy that was cerebral and vice versa. It was interchangeable and it never affected anything. Try being a comic and doing a lot of dick jokes and lowest common denominator jokes and then follow that with clean cerebral shit. You will die a miserable death. But this man never did. 14-hour specials. How many people you know of 14-hour specials? Maybe Carlin. That's it. So today we get a chance to be talking to one of the greatest stand-up comedians in the history of the world. I'm not talking about the United States. I'm talking about the history of the world. Now, I know some people will tell me that that's not true. Gallagher did props. Gallagher was a guy who smashed watermelons. How could you possibly consider him one of the greatest comedians in the world? Well, the reason I'm saying that is because just like in music, there's a whole wide range of great artists who people think are brilliant. But the measure of that is how the people come to see you, how they respond to your content, and whether you feel the people that go to shows are a certain level that maybe you're not. The bottom line is, and the sheer numbers of what an artist is able to deliver out in the world in terms of stand-up. And that's what Gallagher did. Yes, Gallagher is a person who does a lot of great stand-up, but yes, he's also a person who does a lot of prop comedy and smashing watermelons. Yes, Dennis Miller is 
a tremendous stand-up comedian, one of the greatest comedians also of my generation. So, too, of Louis C.K., but also so, too, of Andrew Dice Clay, who sold out arenas for the longest period of time of any comedian in the history of the world, from 1988 to 2000. Now, it could be argued from every person listening who is the greatest stand-up comedian of all time and what makes somebody one of the greatest comedians in the world. But for me... I don't look at somebody like Carrot Top and think to myself, well, Carrot Top is a joke or Carrot Top is the kind of artist who isn't a great artist. I look at Carrot Top as a guy who found his lane and does original comedy. Granted, it's prop comedy and a guy who plants his feet and delivers cerebral jokes is not going to be a guy who's going to rally around Carrot Top or Gallagher. They're going to be the person who rallies around a Louis C.K., a George Carlin. They're going to rally around a Richard Pryor or somebody doing stand-up again now who's great like Judd Apatow. You're going to rally around those people. But when you acknowledge things as musical artists relate to them, there's going to be people who are going to see concerts of Tony Bennett Barry Manilow, Michael Buble, Nine Inch Nails, Bono, Springsteen, and they're all artists that are great because they're delivering an audience into the arena for a long, long time. So if you're listening out there, the key for me is do something original, unique, that stands out in whatever your profession is. And you have the best chance of taking your career to the next level. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Uh, undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Okay, so and then you start selling out those shows. Well, I no, I got I sold out when I made a, a special for Showtime. But this is what's amazing about you. You did Merv Griffin, almost a 15-minute stand-up slot on Mike oh. Douglas. Comedians only did five to seven. You did 15. You had only performed right. a handful of times right. in your entire life. But I was a roller skater. <laughs> but you didn't roller skate that much I know, on the but thing. I had the confidence. In the modern kitchen, there is a standard rule. If I have a kitchen test, you must have the proper two. I practiced that for months on his boat. He left me in Annapolis Harbor on his boat, thinking I was going to repair and work on his boat because he found me on my dad's boat. Whose and boat again? Dan Wolf, Elisa Kashi's husband. I don't even know if he's alive anymore. They came down to um, uh, Soupy Sales opened for them. And I started t telling Soupy some of my jokes. And that's when he says, oh, you can't say that. Jeff, say tush. Oh, you can't say that. Jeff, say booby. Great. I got $115,000. You know, one of the monkeys. 115000 for what? The first Showtime special. You got $115,000 to Budget. you 
or budget to make the special? Budget to make the special. How much of that did you pocket? I we got a producer. It was the monkeys guy. Uh, I know, but how much money did you earn nothing. out of the one fifteen? Nothing. nothing. Zero. Zero. But true to form, comedians, if you're out there, make the special. Get it out there. Don't worry about how much money you make on the first one, because as Gallagher will tell you, if you get that first one out and you're extraordinary, you're going to have all the money you need from all the other stuff. And that's what happened to you, right? No. No? No. Well, what are, who are the monkeys? What? What's the one? Not the... Davy Jones. No, he's an Mike Nesmith. Mike Nesmith. Of course. God, I am old. Davy Jones didn't have any sense. So anyway, Mike Nesmith makes that one. So the next one, I'm getting a hundred and fifty thousand for one fifty. Right, and we're not going to use Mike Nesmith. I'm going to do it myself. We're going to go downtown and use one of uh, uh, the the guy that owns Magic Castle. He owns the Performing Arts Theater downtown. Milt Larson. He thank also you. owned the one in Santa Monica, the Mayfair Music Hall. I worked that all the time because I'm a novelty act and I had a pop-up circus and I tap danced well, the and Mayfair, all the comics are down at the comedy store. None of them are tap dancing. None of them had a pop-up But tap. the Mayfair was only like a 200-seat theater. It was on it was Santa... great. I'd actually lose money when I, over my un, unemployment was 150 two weeks. I'd make 300 a month. And But I've, when I worked there, I got, it overlapped wrong and I, and I actually lost money working uh, for Milt. But anyway, I went downtown and I did an hour and a half show, okay? And then Showtime said, um, oh, you have to edit that down to an hour. And I said, no, I'm going to make an hour show and a half an hour show. And um, so then I called my lawyer, Tom Rowan, Dan Rowan's son. That's what he did with all the Dan Rowan right. from Laugh-In. Right. Tom Rowan was uh, Kenny Rogers. Uh, so I told Tom, Tom, I haven't made any money off of this thing. And uh, and so <clears throat> that's the only show I made that didn't end with Sledgematic. It ends with a whale poem. And people love that poem about the whales. And then I made him buy the next one. For $60,000. And that was going to be my money. But then Ken Cragen's producer said, wait a minute, we found some extra bills. And I said, I'm quitting you guys. I'm never going to make any money with you. I negotiated this whole thing with Showtime to get extra money, make them play a half hour show. And you'll see it. It's called Too Real. I stole it from uh, the disc jockey who had two... Too cool. Frazier Smith. Frazier Smith, who town. was a really amazing guy yeah. who used to be like as big as Howard Stern out yeah, here. out here. And Too still, cool. The and Cool Patrol. Still one of the nicest He did every guys. ad I ever had. All my radio ads, he did. I paid him. You know, he got all of them. He's an amazing man, Frazier Smith. I love his Smith. voice, and he's funny, too. And but 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 let's go back here. So you you're that's man, you when I quit. Uh, you find you find out your manager is sort of cheating you, not giving you money. He's making all the I money. I think Ken knew anything about it. He didn't know. He doesn't look into the numbers. It was about that producer. Then that producer later on called me and wanted a job. I said, "Come on, you're the one that, you know." So then you start producing your own specials. I tried. 
I tried a uh, big deal. I went in and I negotiated uh, two more shows for um, one seventy-five and one eighty-five. Those two were my best shows. That was the maddest and stuck in the sixties. I I did those for Showtime for one seventy-five and one eighty-five, and with no back-end profits, just a flat fee. Right. And that's what I kept telling Showtime. I but said, you had a lawyer to help you get the back end. Why didn't you use them? I didn't them? think they'd give me any more money. And I knew I realized that getting the, the, the live show was where the money was. And so I spent it all on the show. Now, what was it like producing for the first time versus letting somebody else produce? Well, I got um, the Osmonds producer to do it you know because he told me to get Reisenberger lighting and to get the B format truck that has the great color you know we, we used to have to turn in the video to Showtime and then they would check it for dropouts if there was a blank frame and now we're making video that goes on TV from our phones and it's amazing how stupid things turn but my shows are beautiful if you want to look back at it how much but money did you make off those two none none zero I so here we go you have producers who you don't trust, you don't make any money, and then you let yourself produ produce them, you don't make any money. What does that well, say about I, you? I, I, um, I <laughs> you try, you do the best you can. It says about you, you try, you do the best you can. That's right. I want to be the boss because if there's somebody in between me and the workers, they're going to... But the boss made you the same amount of money as the producers who I you know, hated. I know. I, and if I, you know how many people told me not to make a great big couch and jump on it that we couldn't get it in the in the theater and I couldn't get it in a truck I'd and then I had to I had to pay for loaders in right eight a six hour minimum plus fifty percent benefits and the six out and those couldn't be the guys who worked the show they had to be different guys it was very expensive it was more than I only paid five thousand dollars for the to make the the couch, and I must have paid twenty five or thirty thousand practicing it five times before we filmed. I only did it five times before we filmed. I couldn't afford to drag this thing around. You started a relationship with another manager who also later on managed Caratop. That's a man named Gary Proper. You want to talk about how your relationship with him started? Well, I C K Spurlock had a son. KC and KC sold the t-shirts and I said to KC when we were on the road I said KC you know I'm going to do the same thing that your dad does um, for Kenny would you like to do it for me well what I noticed he did was he just sold me to other produce other promoters he didn't really promote himself I and mean, he was just taking a percentage but he sold me to Gary Proper in Florida and I showed up and met Gary. So Gary was a promoter? Promoter in Florida. And he did mostly black acts. And my first wife actually talked to him many times on the phone before I met him because he bought a lot of black acts for, from the agent she worked for. And um, so that was a small world. And um, and so you come in there, you sell out. He sees the opportunity. Oh, he says, time. I'll promote you anywhere in America. And I said, all right, I'll give you 20%. Why would you give him 20%? I like the people that I work with to make money. Otherwise, 
Why are you important to them? It's fantastic. I take 20%. Well, and I do it gladly. <laughs> okay. So he takes 20% and things start taking off even more with Gary Proper. Yeah, he's nuts, but he, he knows how to promote. He goes crazy with watermelons. He just goes nuts with watermelons. He, you know, and I thought, well, you're crazy. But it worked, I guess. I don't know. He did his job. I did mine. <clears throat> and uh, and so, we, did, we and, did everywhere. We went everywhere. And you went everywhere, and you sold out all over the place. And then, We didn't have an empty chair for six years, I think. And it's hard to sell the corner seat in the balcony. It is. Because people call up, and they realize they're getting the last seat, and they hang up. They're not going to buy that. One of the things I'll share with the audience, which you probably won't believe, okay, when I was doing uh, a lot of the concerts with Dane Cook, we would have a VIP area, the first five, six rows, which could be as much with a charity donation or something, as much as $250 a ticket plus a backstage meet and greet. And then we had tickets that we kept very, very low, like between 15 and $25 that were in the back and, and a lot of the back sections. Because I want to explain this as a visual to people who don't understand this, and you understand this, Gallagher. If you have an arena and you have somebody in the round, okay, what you don't understand is that, and I didn't understand it either, it was amazing. Like, for instance, if you do Madison Square Garden and you look all around you on the floor and you have everybody around you on the floor in the round and it looks huge, there's only 3,000 people there because the circle is smaller the perimeter is smaller, less people to fill the circle. Believe it or not, you could take the last row of Madison Square Garden that goes all the way around the arena, and that might be close to 500 people. And so you take those last three, four, or five rows, like Gallagher is talking about, the upper deck of Madison Square Garden is 9,000 seats. But the seats that we sold first and sold out all the time were the $250 seats. Those always sold first. The next group that sold best were the seats, the 9000 up at the top. And the hardest tickets to sell for him were the ones that were the in-between ones. Because everybody wanted to either be the VIP or they wanted to save money, but they didn't want to be in-between. And so you were selling out all over the place. Things are going well for you, but you were also a creator. And you created some unique and interesting ideas. And one of the things that people should know about you that isn't on your bio is that you created, and you tell me if I'm wrong, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle franchise. No. I met the guys who created it, Eastman and Laird. But and they only had first, they only had little drawings. I know, but I never did. Uh, they they had a food fight in one of their comic books. They might have gotten some ideas from me. No, what I did was place the movie uh, with Raymond Chow at Golden Harvest uh, in China um, because they made the mistake of selling the back end to Playmate. And if you've already sold the toys, a movie company in Hollywood's not interested if they don't have the chance of creating a franchise and continuing to license. 
And uh, they wouldn't listen to me. But I told them not to use Renaissance painters as the names because uh, nine, ten-year-old boys don't care about Michelangelo and Raphael and Donatello. I mean, how stupid. They didn't listen to me, and they went because they their managers were a couple that they knew. And But take our they, audience through how you got involved in well, the Well, Gary comes to me with a comic book. Uh, with the, he goes, Gary reads comic books. And so he comes to me with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, just pages of them in fighting positions, no storyline. They come to see my show. So then Gary s- continues to tell me what's going on with their career and their life. And he tells me that they can't um, make a movie deal after they did the cartoon series uh, for Playmate. And I said, oh, great, let's get the movie rights. And, and so we don't have to smash watermelons the rest of our life. You know, let's become movie producers. And I told him, now let's try to do it here. You know, I'm not doing these phone calls, but I'm directing Gary, which is what. Uh, but you the, directed him to acquire the rights to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right. I got it for free. We got a um, 50-50, uh, let me see, 70-30. Well, that's what we got with the Raymond Chow. Uh, we got a 70-30, and we had a 50-50 deal with the— 70 to you? No, seven, No, we got 30%. These days, oh, we got a point. Oh, we got a point and a half. We had 30 points on the first three Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. But uh, we would have had 15 because we had to, uh, 50-50. What about the, the television series? Here, they decide that they don't like the fact that we made a deal— and so now they want 20 they want, and we get 10. And so uh, Gary decides that was my money that went away. But I said, okay, I want to present it. I wanted to say presented by Gallagher, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. I went to the m- opening of the movie with my son to show him that there I was going to be up on screen. And there was Gary's name. And... Um, this other guy, uh, Kim Dawson. Your name wasn't on the movie. No, I didn't get the money or the recognition. Um, Your so manager got, didn't give you the money. Well, I only asked for like sixty thousand. We got a half a mil. I mean, they the. Why would you only ask for sixty thousand? Because I was making a lot of money. But I, I thought, come on, right's right. It was my idea to try to do this. It was my idea to go. Once uh, they killed Bruce Lee, I thought they need another star, and it's a karate movie. But, um, you know, everywhere you leak, the world hangs a bucket. If you don't know what's going on, then people take advantage of that. So I really can't prove anything but it uh what you can prove is that you were involved in the project and you didn't make one dollar no but now i have you've never made you've never made a dollar from teenage mutant ninja it got worse i got mad at him and i said okay i get the rights to sergeant curtis this guy that took pictures of Native Americans? Yeah. He took pics. He was a photographer in Seattle, and then he got excited and started taking pictures of all the tribes. And then he made uh, phonograph recordings of their songs and and everything. And he made an encyclopedia called The American Indian of all the tribes in America. It's a wonderful story because he went and got his wife and his daughter, and he wanted to take them with him. And I sent it to Kevin Costner. 
to, to be the photographer, and I didn't know he was making Dances with Wolves. And the whole time, everybody in Hollywood saying, you're never going to sell a new movie if any of the shooting is done with a camera. Ah! And so there it is, a night he gets the Oscar. I'm sitting there, the big schmuck again, an in movie. You know, besides that producer didn't pay his rent and got an Oscar, I'm telling you, the Oscars piss me off every year, every year. Everybody acts like they're so warm and loving. I don't find that. I find everybody's warm and loving between L.A. and New York. When I come out here, every office I go into, for some reason, hates me. They just can't stand me. I mean, I could come in there say with a script and say I only had genius in a couple of the parts and they say, well, it's not finished. You know, well, let's get people to finish it. I mean, you know, I've got a lot going here. I have the original idea and I've, I've fleshed out a couple of the characters. I mean, they find something you pick and everything I need. I can't make a deal out. I don't know what it is. They just don't like, and it's, it's pervasive too. You're the first guy that ever t- uh, called me back. Ever called me back? Nobody calls you back. So they there's love. So there's love here in this oh, office. I don't, know. I don't know. Can't tell. There's no hate here. Do you feel comfortable here? Okay, just checking. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Let me ask you about this. Your personal life, relationships. You've been married, is it three times? Well, one of my wives I didn't have to marry. I got that was a better situation. I had a I had a female that went with me on the road for 16 years. She was with me every minute of the day. So no groupies. 16 That's right. She could be really sure that I did not fool around. You know what it takes for a woman to keep a man like you on the road happy for 16 years? Oh, she was years? with me on the road. No, but I mean, you know what kind of woman it takes to keep somebody a like you happy? young one. She was much, I was 45, she was 23. I, and I turned 46 quickly. I didn't want to be less than half her age, uh, more than twice her age, I think it was. I think she was 22 when I was 45. That's right. Her dad was 47, <laughs> I think. I was 45. Why did that relationship end? What? 16 years is pretty good. You wear them out, don't you? (laughs) She was 23, 22, 23 when I met her. And then, uh, well, I had a heart attack and she was 39. That was your first heart attack? Yeah, in 2000. Did she take care of you? Yeah, but I felt bad because she was young. There's just no reason for a 39-year-old woman to go through an old man's problems. 
And so I said, Boy, I have no shot. You're young enough to start another life with somebody else. Did she? I don't know. She won't talk to me. She puts up boundaries, really. Is her name, that is her name Hollywood? N no, but it should be. <laughs> no, she, I met her at a, at a blues bar in Fort Worth. And here's what happened. My first wife, she, I kept So trying. that wasn't the first wife. That's no, somebody. My, no, my first wife, uh, actually my second wife, she <laughs> says uh, I couldn't ever make up with her. She just all the time thought I was fooling her and then I was going to be an ogre later. And I said, well, okay, then I'm just, I'm going to Texas and I like Texas girls and I'm going to come back with somebody. I'm not coming back alone. I told her. And so I got the fax machine. This was, uh, that's all we had back then. And I faxed the radio station and I told them, I said, I'm looking for a girlfriend. And uh, they said, what do you want us to do? And I said, tell it on the radio, on the radio, and then tell them to fax what they would do to me. So about a half an hour after I told my second wife that I was going to come home with somebody, that fax machine is a warrant. And these cowgirls are telling me how hard they're going to ride me and bull whip me and <laughs> put me in the stall. And, um, and I couldn't wait. I left the next day, you know, like on a Tuesday for a Saturday show. And so then I set it up. I had like four dates a day. I did meet one for breakfast and one for early lunch and one for drinks and one for dinner and then go out late. And I didn't find any that I was really crazy about. And I, but this one took me, this nurse, she took me to this blues bar and I saw this girl's butt. Because uh, I was sitting behind her, and I thought, I really like her butt, but you know they're never perfect. And so she's probably ugly when she turned around. But she turned around. She just didn't know who I was. And uh, she was sitting at a table with uh, three boys, three girls, but she wasn't attached. And I found that out when she went to the bathroom because I went over there. Ships passing in the night, all, you know, and faint heart near one fair lady. I waited till she went to the bathroom. I said, I'm going over there to meet her. Oh, don't do that to me, Gallagher. This nurse said to me, this is my bar. But I said, I, I got to make my move here. So I went over there and I said, uh, can I meet you? That's what I said. Can I meet you? And uh, she said, what do you want to do with me? And I said, well, I want to buy you clothes. And it's because I knew enough about women by then, you know, and I just cut to the chase. I said, I'm going to buy you clothes. And I did, too. I must have bought $100,000 worth of clothes for her. It was in two big suitcases. I had to get a guy on the road just to heft her suitcases. Was she worth it? Well, and she kept me company, and it was kind of like a family. Uh, I was, you know, lonely on the road. Were you ever unfaithful to your women? Well, I was to the ones that no, the ones you were married to. No, I wasn't unfaithful at sixteen years. She was with me all the time. No, the other ones. Well, of course, I'm a comedian on the road. Come on. <laughs> Tell me about what it's like being a comedian when you start making it, all the money and all the. I don't women. think it's about laughter. I think it's about sex. I think you can't wait to get on stage and act up in front of the girls and then see who talks to you on the way to the bathroom at the comedy store. I mean, that's what it is. I think that's how you score. They they like, oh, I like your... My first girlfriend, Robin Riker, she uh, ended up on Showtime. She was the girl bartender on uh, on the first gay show that was on there, Brothers. She was the redheaded bartender on there. She was a waitress at the, at the comedy store. She comes up and she says, I like what you do, you know, and I, then I did her. You know how Joe Jackson, he did that album, Look Sharp, and it was just that beat and everything was amazing. And then the next album he did was sort of like jazz. 
Did you ever do a full special where you just did all your cerebral material from start to finish? Or did you ever do a show where you did a special that was all props and all non-cerebral stuff for the entire special? No, variety is the spice of life and the secret of entertainment. If you change, it refreshes the audience. They habituate. If you poke somebody in the same place for a while, then the poke don't work. And when you move it to another place, it's hot. I had psychology in in college, pigeons. It's all the same, flatworms, people in in an audience. Here's the deal. I'm not responsible for the whole show. I'm about half. If the audience isn't there, if the energy isn't in the room and in the audience, you can't make it happen can't. That's why I do my specials in some other place in the United States. I hate these audiences out here in LA. The studios are so cold and the crew is over there talking about their benefit package in their iron jeans over by the donuts. And it's, I hate it. It's just not fun. It's not funny. It's just the worst. Every time I did a talk show, I would get half of the reaction that I would normally get in a nightclub. But People are twice as impressed with it as you would think. And so it worked out okay. But I always thought it was nuts because it always was a letdown. I remember when you fired your second manager, Gary Proper. Sometimes as a manager, you hear of other people being fired and you think, okay, how are they going to recover? What are they going to do? This is a guy who he worked together. It was big. And then very short after, I found out that he was managing another guy that I thought was slightly similar to you in some ways, uh, Scott Thompson, a.k.a. Carrot Top. Tell me about that. Well, Gary took that guy that I'd hired to carry my girlfriend's suitcases, my bus driver. And Scott driver. Thompson was your bus driver? No, he took the guy. Gary took my bus driver. He took my sound man. He took the striped shirt, put the mic on a wire around your neck, and pulled props out of a box. But Gary said that I was over with, that I was uh, 24 to 36, and the real market is 18 to 24. And so he was just going to go with Scotty, and they were going to do younger younger material. But then he also managed the, the amazing Jonathan, and I married the amazing Jonathan uh, recently. Uh, I they got me a preacher's certificate and I married him. So it seems like throughout this uh, career of yours, you've had people who've taken you down over and over and over again. People, it seems like whether purposely or whatever, or through your own naivete about the business, you've lost back end on specials. I know. My mom and you dad lost and my the millions brother. of dollars for the situation with Teenage Mutant and Jim Turtles. You're in a situation where Gary Proper, you fire him, and then he takes another guy and basically takes pieces of what you are to make him big. And then you have a situation with your brother after one of your heart attacks where you let him go out and do your act. Do old jokes. I had a lot of shows. You know, I made eight or nine shows at that time. I told him to do jokes from the first three or four. But why? Well, because he wanted money. 
and I told him to just go and get it himself. He could make about 100000 working in little places. You know, America is very big. There are tertiary, fourth, fifth-tier markets. I'm never going to. With 100 people, $20, 2000 a night, 50 nights, you have $100,000. Okay, so you made a deal with him that he could only work these these lower-level markets to- oh, and I smaller rooms. Oh, I made a deal rooms. with uh, a club owner that I trusted, uh, Tom Sobel. Of course. Who owns the Comedy Caravan in, uh, or did, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And I said to Tom, will you represent him and make sure it's clear? And so they had a $12 ticket price. But then uh, my brother is not easy to work with, and the girls in his office didn't want to deal with him anymore. And so the new producers that my brother met said, you're giving away the fact that it ain't Gallagher with your ticket price. If you charge 22 they think it's Gallagher. And so that's what they started doing, and it was ruining my ticket sales because people thought it was my brother. You know, he didn't care. I mean, he's a schmuck. He thought I can do what I want, and he could lie. My dad, you know, my dad loved lying and cheating. He he would revel in really good scams. You know, that's my how do you, my dad would be impressed with. So you gave your act away for Just nothing. Just some old jokes. I'm not doing them jokes. I don't even want to say them. I don't want them in my mouth. Everything you do kills everything you could have done. Every time you tell a joke, you already know you ruined an opportunity to create a new joke with a new dynamic situation. This is what I do. That's why I got 14 shows. I can't believe And I only did that in 10 years. I mean, I'd have had more shows if Showtime had stuck with me. Talk about people letting me down. I made that damn company. At least I started it. And uh, you know what I did to the president? I put together... The president of Showtime. Yeah, Jules Heimowitz. I put together, to find out what he was like, I pretended to um, that there was this real estate company in New York that would take you around in a, in a Lincoln Town car with a phone. This is when phones were really new. And I was at a cocktail party with him, and I told him, I know this real estate company. Oh, it's great. We're looking for a new apartment. And so I gave him the phone number of my, you know who it was? The girlfriend who kicked me out of Jim's house, Madeline Calder. And so I made a deal with her later on. I pulled her back into the deal. And um, so anyway, he sent his new wife, who was a little trollop. See, the, if you have an old Jewish wife, that's just fine. But if you have one of these show business chicks with a whole bunch of pinholes in her ear and everything, a little, then they don't want you in their building. You have to pass the building, the board in New York. You see, and we could never get him past the board because the little trollop wife would go by. But I learned how he, um, what he, how he's with money how he tried to buy things because I could never deal with him. I kept telling him, give me more money and it'll be on the screen. It's not about cheating me. I'm spending it all. Don't you want a quality product? He took the wallpaper off the wall of his former apartment and it was rolled up and in a temporary apartment that he was while he was looking for his new place. That's my problem. I'm dealing with a guy who saved wallpaper. Have you ever had somebody say, well, I improved this apartment $50,000. Well, I don't like your improvements. Well, I'll just take them with me then, right? And that's what he did. He took the wallpaper off the wall, rolled it up and he had this guy. I'm no, How am I going to get any money out of this guy? And he's rolling up wallpaper he always wanted he wanted a library he wanted park avenue address with a side entrance all blah 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 
I also got David Letterman in that car. <laughs> and I learned a lot about Dave and how he uh, tries to buy things. How did you feel the first time you saw Dave smash a watermelon? Um, Dave Letterman off the roof. I thought that uh, he didn't need to do that. I thought, you know, because he always told me, he said, I don't need an act, Gallagher. I'm going to be a talk show host, right? Because I used to stand with his agent, Debbie Miller, from William Morris in the back of the comedy store, and I'd say, what are we doing? And she said, we're trying to put together enough bits to get him on The Tonight Show. And I said, how is he ever going to inherit The Tonight Show if he can't even be a guest on The Tonight Show? She says, I know we're still frying bread. Because he had this routine, we fried this bread in less than all to prove a point. And, you know, and so it just was indicative of the whole thing. But you know what the great thing is? The last time I was on, he apologized in front of the whole country and said, I stole it. I stole it. I love that. I love that. was only about a year ago. Yeah. I think that he was afraid I died without him saying that he's stolen. But nobody would ever think in a million years that David Letterman stole something. Well, he's really not a writer. He's not a creator. How do you write throwing a, a watermelon off the roof? Um, Is that a written bit? It feels like he, he had writers in a room that decided to steal my act in some other way. Well, maybe he was clever enough to steal it that way. I don't know. But it's not that funny that way. It doesn't hit the people. All right. You've made millions and millions of dollars in your lifetime. You were the highest grossing comedian for over a decade. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've lost millions that you never had because you didn't get protected properly. But what went on as a comic as big as you were and you made all that money, where did the money go? Well, I've had a lot of wives and I've had kids and we've all lived a comfortable life. But America doesn't want you to keep your money. I mean, you have to have agents. uh, I mean, you'd have to have uh, lawyers and accountants and then you pay taxes in the current year. I did everything I could to skate along and keep money for two years. I had corporations with a July year end, and then I'd move in and give it to myself, and then I'd write a check into a company that had you know, a November tax year. And I'd keep the money for a couple of years before I had to pay taxes on it. Everything I've ever done in life I was to try to get to do something that wasn't smashing watermelons. I kept trying to earn money doing something besides, and I lose every time. I had an ostrich uh, business. I, I owned the name Bird Dogs, and I made uh, an ostrich ravioli. Um, I've uh, tried uh, stocks. I love stocks. I did that for 10, 12, 15 years, um, maybe 20, maybe my whole career. Um, I've been trading stocks, and I'm an expert at it, but I'll also lose the money. But it was 2008. What or nineteen? What what was the big crash? I think it was two thousand eight. The real I, estate crash of two thousand eight. Yeah, I owned three million dollar houses and a million dollars worth of uh, stock extended right on margin, 
And then I'd also sell calls. I know how to do all of it. So And I'd read. I'd spend the whole day not doing comedy. I'd read P&Ls, and I'd decide whether this executive is doing the right thing and talk about products and services. And, I mean, I know everything. This is only seven years ago. And Obama says, well, maybe you just can't go to Vegas for a vacation. And my ticket sales bombed out for two Obama Right, bombed me out for two years. Luckily, I got a one heart operation on this uh, new Obamacare. So you should send him a fruit I basket. Got, I should. I, that was at least $50,000. I have like 10 really good ideas. So at what point do you feel your own mortality? You've had four oh, heart attacks. Every morning. I don't, I'm surprised when I wake up and a little disappointed. <laughs> because I have to go through another day of people in powerful positions hating me. They hate me. They just plain, let's call somebody and just, you can feel the vituperation over the phone. Why do they hate I you? I don't know. Take a guess. I, I'm loved everywhere else. Green Bay, Wisconsin. 6,000 people showed up in the 2,000-seater. Three shows I videotaped. It's called Smashing Cheeseheads. And uh, they love me. And I out here, I just want, I need Take somebody. Take a guess why people don't like you. It's not people. It's the people in high positions. Why don't they like you? Because I feel superior to them, and I think I could do their job better. So they feel that. They, they feel your arrogance and arrogance sense of entitlement. And the sense of entitlement. Well, I think that uh, talented people are entitled to be in charge. I have good ideas. You want to hear a good idea? It's called the archives. We should revere experience of our old people, like the Japanese people do instead of young people all the time, old people. Let's take our camera and have an old person say something about money or love or whatever advice they'd like. Well, why don't you get. start since you're old? And um, and I'm old too, so I can do something. Yeah. So well, start. I, There's the, I have Gallagherism. There it goes, so start. Pop in my mind. But anyway, wouldn't it be How wonderful? could one of your Gallagherisms not pop into your mind? You're Gallagher. Uh, well, I, 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 because... I had heart attacks and my brain doesn't work real good. Is that true? Yes, you can tell. I can't think of words that begin with capital letters. For some reason, there's a part of your brain that's in charge of proper nouns, if it's a city or a name of a person. That's why I can tell you the part they played in a movie, but I can't tell you their name. In fact, I couldn't think of Taxi the other day in New York. I'm going to test with a you. Bunch I'm going to test you. Jerry Maguire. This is so funny. Jerry Maguire. Tom, Joe, Tom, Tom, Tom on the couch on Oprah jumping up and down. Okay. I was in New York and I said, I couldn't think of taxi. And I said, can we take one of them little yellow cars and they'll drive and we pay them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I had to say the whole thing. It's terrible. Oh, I did one already. Everywhere you leak, the world hangs a bucket uh, where you... you, you know, if somebody knows you don't know. That's why I get three lawyers, three doctors... I've just discovered if you get more, three dentists, if you get more than one opinion, you're amazed at how different it was from the person that you were trusting with the decision, right? Trust me. Do you ever say that? Yes, you do. They do in town. Trust me. Don't I get accolades from this town? If I made 14 shows that still sell and I was able to sell live tickets, I sold live tickets, I sold 80 
T-shirts for $20 last night. He just pulled out a wad of bills here. I, I have $1,600 because I sold these. And Coincident, all these co 20, coincidentally, that's how much this cost, this podcast. I These 20s I got from my fans. They're not just uh, just money. Do you these report are that memento. money? No. <laughs> Because I gave away 40. I'm telling the IRS I gave away 120. I'm not telling them I, I sold 80. But I can feel their good vibes. They love me. Some people paid with fives. But mostly I got a 20. And they're $8 shirts because I got nine colors in it. I love my fans. This is what the, pan, the, the, uh, the other comedians are not doing. Bonding. I bond by getting rid of the promoter who's going to gouge the, the audience the first time you come through town famous because they're just going to throw you away and find somebody else that they're going to gouge the public for. I want to come back year after year after year. I've tried to keep a $20 ticket, even though the value of $20 has gone down. And so down who and books down. you in these places? Well, I, I call around. And I have a number on the internet. I'm using four or five people now, plus the internet. My daughter, if you call the number on there, you'll hear my grandchildren screaming and yelling. My daughter will just scream something out. Don't run out the door! Like this while you're talking to her, you know? Just screaming some crazy... Uh, Talk about the last time you bombed. I never bomb. I'm going to smash food at the end. Plus, I know enough to have good jokes. I have a banana and a wiener in my pants. Tell me the worst show you ever had in your life. Okay. Let me think. Um, I, I'm going to blame That the doesn't belong. I, blame that doesn't audience. begin with a capital letter. I'll blame the audience because it's not about All right. me. I, I come with my heart in the right place every time. That's because I, you've had four heart attacks. It better be in the right this place. This is why. This is why. The worst show, Gallagher, you've ever you, had in your life. I what was always, it? I'm such an optimist. I, I'm telling you, entertainers are so great people. We think everything's going to be wonderful, and it sucks. Oh, I'll tell you, uh, American Express, <clears throat> they hired me to do one of their after-dinner shows, and, and I think I'm going to do great because all these executives are getting up there telling tiny little jokes to everybody. <laughs> but they get tired after they eat. And then they want to go pee because they've been drinking. And once they come back from that, they're done. They're done. And they, no way. I, I could have got a big applause if I would have just said, you know what? Let's just go home. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd all said, he knows what this audience wants. I, I remember that show was horrible. Um, Did you smash a watermelon in the American Express people? Yeah, probably. Probably that was in in Palm Springs. Those Armani suits that'll put it them in the Palm bad mood. Springs. Um, I I don't do very many corporates. It always pisses me off when I meet a comedian who does a lot of corporate. I know he's making a lot of bucks. He's making big bucks, right? Well, Lord knows they'd want to do the state fair, Gallagher. Oh, well, I want to do them corporates too. Why don't I get to go? I know I've read the P and L and second guessed the executive of that company when I was trading stocks. Final. That's how I'm going to make my money. Is I'm going to have a company. And I thought you already made your money. No, it's all gone. But that's okay. New money. I, I've got a, a patent on the new slot machine software, and then I'll take that company public. Then you get 15 times one year's earnings. Right. Fine. I'll be a one third owner. I'll sell two thirds of the company. 
So now you're going to get your back end. Yeah. Out of all the experiences that have ever happened in your entire life or career, what's your greatest holy shit moment that no one would ever believe? Um, Muhammad Ali come up to me and said that he liked me. And then he told me a black joke. <laughs> he told you a racist joke. He told me a black joke. Yeah. I said, don't, don't tell me that. But anyway, I was impressed with him. He's my hero. He stood up against the government and said, no, I ain't doing this. It's dumb. Same time I was dodging the draft, remember? He's my hero. It's good when your hero likes you, like something you've done. That's a big deal. It's better than that guy. Sweet Caroline. He come up to me. Neil Diamond. Right. He come up to me and said he enjoyed it. No, I don't care. You know, sweet Caroline. <laughs> but I like Muhammad Ali. He stood up against the government. And the government was wrong. Right after that whole thing, McNamara said, I always had my doubts. And that some bitch was the one sending the letters, right, to get us to go over there. I would have shot them all. I would have just shot them all. Those are the, that's your, either stay in your room and don't do nothing, see, or go out and just shoot all of them. Because they all could bend over and have a, a machine gun on their back. So I would have just shot them all. I would have just sent that. Been nuts, but I, I would have. Tell me your Mount Rushmore of comedy. Gallagher's Mount Rushmore of comedy. The four faces on the mountain. Oh, Richard. Pryor. Richard Pryor. And um, and uh, the one that talked to George Burns. She was the funny one. Gracie. Gracie. Gracie Allen. Yeah. Okay, that's the second face yeah. on the mountain. And... Um, Um, I like Harold Lloyd, but um, you have to admit that uh, Charlie Chaplin did a lot more. Um, I would say Chaplin. That's number three. What's the fourth face on the comedy mountain? Well, I don't. I I'm probably leaving somebody out that. Uh, Really good. George didn't do nothing. Gracie did the whole thing with her voice. Um, who do I like? I just listen to them. I have all their radio shows. They wrote really good jokes. I don't know why um, comedians don't just do some of their jokes. Because that would be stealing. Well, it's better than what they're doing. They're talking about themselves, and who cares? That You know, an audience doesn't care. I tell jokes. I tell 20 just regular, everyday jokes and during my show, and I smack a cymbal, and, and nobody says, hey, you didn't think Tim jokes. You have to hear jokes if you go and see a comedian. Well, I'm going to go toe-to-toe with you here, okay? Leo Gallagher Jr. has never had his own sitcom. The reason why Leo Gallagher Jr. has never had his own sitcom is because Leo Gallagher Jr. never talks about himself. Ray Romano's stand-up is all about himself and his family. Last year of his contract, he made $40 million. Seinfeld talks about his life and his family. 
did a sitcom for over close to a decade, came out with $225 million on the back end. Larry David talks about himself, curb your enthusiasm. So there's an advantage to talking about yourself. It might not entertain people as much as you think it does. I might disagree with you. Everybody has certain things that they like. And so I disagree with you because if you talk about yourself, America on television responds every week they come to see you because they want to see a part of themselves. And you never gave people that part of yourself. Flip Wilson, he always, though, let me down. I remember laughing at him a couple of times and then expected it. It's fun to look back at your life when you weren't a comedian and then you were just a member of the audience because I used to have a Jerry Lewis. I have a Jerry, D. Martin, Jerry Lewis comic book and for some reason we never thought they were homosexuals and they're always just running around together and the, the, you know why why would a handsome guy hang out with a goofball that's um because one's a straight man well who and one's not your biggest disappointment in show business hollywood i thought all i had to do was show them who i was and what i was able to do and the phone would ring off of the hook and the phone doesn't ring at all. And I didn't get to be in a movie. Can you believe this? I, I had a whole life and was never in a comedy movie. I'd never been in a movie. How many hours percentage-wise have you worked on your acting versus the percentage-wise you've worked on your writing and performing? Well, I would say since I do a show starting at 8 o'clock that I am acting. Who in the hell you know, can be funny every day at eight o'clock, but an actor, I mean, why ain't I acting? I'm, I'm doing an act. I not only act, I wrote the act. You made millions of dollars. You could have made your own films. Why didn't you make them? Um, I don't like working with people. I can't do it all myself. I did write one, Leo and Mike, where I was Leonardo da Vinci and uh, my adventures with Michelangelo, and I wanted Robin Williams to be Mike, and I called him, and we talked about it for some time. I wrote the script, and I gave it to um, Jack Black's documentary maker. Jack wanted to do a documentary on me, wanted to give me $10,000. I said, that we spend that at craft services. That's an insult. And uh, they won't give me the script back or they lost it or he won't answer the phone or something. I don't know. It's 400 pages. I totally overwrote it. But I've got several. I've written several movies uh, no one cares about. I have at least 50 songs in that iPad right over there that I can sing for you. That's the next podcast. Oh, all right. Um, from the week because you happen to be strong things you'd like to keep but to you they don't belong you don't need me to preach you know it felt like wrong but i have a need to teach so i'll lead you'll sing along thou shalt not if it ain't nothing you bought thou shalt not and in case you just forgot thou shalt not though you like it a whole lot and no one but your god saw you take what you now got what's written on them tablets from upon that mountaintop 
thou shalt not go home with way more than you brought until them Ten Commandments are rewritten or repealed. Thou shalt not better ever never steal. Here's the deal. How would you feel? I wrote four verses in that. Of the, I, I picked four of the Ten Commandments because ten's too much negativity for kids. Why didn't I ever do a cartoon character? I always blow it. Like I told you, I went to meet with uh, with Dustin Hoffman, and um, look. That's, you met with Dustin Hoffman. What happened? I took my girlfriend with me. And you can't get a... Uh, see, the storyline was he's so upset because he's getting a divorce. Well, I can't go there with my girlfriend and say, I know what you feel. I'm just still in love with my ex-wife and it rips my heart out. So I had to go... You're better off without her. Move on. You know, I was going to be that friend to him. And and the writer was there and he hated it. So Dustin says to me, well, we haven't set the script yet. I said, listen, Dustin, you may be Oscar winning actor, but I ain't buying none of this shit. You ain't never calling me again. You know, your proudest moment in show business. I don't think I was there for it. I won an ACE award for comedy writing. And I was out on the road, and they told me I won. I don't know how Hollywood got past that one. I had to beat the people at HBO. <laughs> when did Showtime ever win anything? <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, cinco, six. Six degrees of separation. Little six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention a few names. Just say what comes to mind. Tom Hanks. Tom? Um... Um, if you can't be funny, put on a dress. That's how he started. I could have had all them movies. I should have been the, and, and gone with Back to the Future. I should have been the professor. He doesn't want to be a comedian. He wants to be a producer. I could have been that one. I wish I was. Don't you wish I was the, the professor in Back to the Future? Uh, you could look, have done look, it. Look, look, look. I'm that guy. Bob Hope. Um, well, I don't know. He's a terrible comedian and an <laughs> American icon. Steve Martin. Steve's a comic actor that was very lucky. Because, you know, he doesn't write. He put an arrow to his hand. And um, he writes little books. Why wouldn't people say he doesn't write? He, he smashes a, a watermelon. Because I also wrote, here's a good one. I just wrote this one. Uh, our former You're not going to sing again, are you? Our former vice president. Did you consider that singing? Our former <laughs> vice president now claims not only to have invented the Internet, but the formulas underlying the Internet. That's why they're called algorithms. See, that's what I find. I find no one else. I beat the whole, all the writers in Hollywood. I used to say You're Hollywood's not, Are you trying to tell me you think that joke is... is great. It's yes. a It's a pun, Gallagher. I love that. I have a degree in English literature. But Gallagher... It's not a pun. It's all right, what do you an, call it? It's an accident of language that Al and Gore are all in right, algorithm. All right, okay, tell me a pun. I found it. I listened. All right, well, I'm then what's a, what's a pun? I don't really know. But it, that ain't it. Okay. So please give the people out there what advice you have to get to the next level. I would work. 
Don't worry about the money. Just get in front of an audience and change what you do, and you'll learn more about your material. The last thing you want to do is do it the same every night in a routine. You'll learn a lot more about talking and the essence of what's really funny by varying the routine. Just go up there loosely with an idea of what you think is funny and see how you weave it every night. Because if you can't add, if you can't write, you can't ad lib. And then you're just going to be boring and predictable. You have to play the moment. Comedy is about the now, like dogs and babies. They are in the now. And you have to be, that's where you have to win. And if it's if you got something you want to say and you're just going to say it anyway and it doesn't fit the moment, you're an, a loser. You forget it. Hmm. I would tell people to work and don't worry about the money, but I don't know how to tell them that they're not funny and they ought to just get a day job. <laughs> well, Gallagher, thank you so much. This has been unbelievable. I'll never it's time for- to throw in the towel. Is that what you're saying? Are I will, we up against the ropes? I will. Was that a low blow? I will. You want to pull any punches? I will never forget this moment, or should I say, series of several moments in my life. Thank you. I am so grateful you came and flew all the way out here from the prairie. It was hard. I didn't sleep last night. You're supposed to say thank you, Barry. It was an honor being here. I don't do anything predictable. I'm not fuzzy. I don't kiss. I don't hug. I don't apologize. And I don't do anything gooey that you think I should. I don't know what you're going to do with this tape. I have no idea <laughs> that you're even going to do anything. You could have just... In fact, I don't even know that you're running in. I don't know where this mic goes. This has been more than a thrill. This has been an inconvenience. I want all you vampires out there to quit chasing Christians. If you'll chase Jews, they won't have a cross. I want you to always think for yourself. People say cleanliness is next to godliness, but they didn't look it up in the dictionary. Goggles is next to godliness. Cleanliness is next to claustrophobia and cleavage. <laughs> People say to eat before you go to the grocery store. That way you don't buy so much. Well, that don't work with the liquor store. You go there drunk, you buy everything they got. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. 
It's a project that I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever.